Welcome to the podcast arm of the Redeemed Christian Church of God, Peculiar People's Parish, based in Regina, Canada. Our mandate is pursuing His purpose, pronouncing His power, and proclaiming His praise. You can subscribe to our podcast channel today, so you never miss an episode of our podcasts. Be blessed by this teaching. God, this evening, we want to continue with our study in the book of James. And this evening, by God's grace, we shall be concentrating on chapters 4 and 5. And as we go into it, I want to ask how many people read the book of James in the last one week. I remember he gave us that assignment, and I said we should go and read the book of James, just five chapters. I said we should read the book of, the book of James, chapter 1 to 5, and that we should read Matthew from chapter 5 to chapter 7. So how many, even if you did not read Matthew, how many people read the book of James? In the last three weeks, if you have read the book of James, raise up your hand. Okay, oh. all right. Grace is there for you. This evening, by God's grace, we shall be dwelling more on chapters 4 and 5 of the book of James. And um, I will be reading from the New Living Translation of the Bible, like I will say, for enhanced understanding. I'll be reading the New Living Translation of the Bible. I'm not going to read everything at a stretch, but I have divided the our I have divided our readings this evening into uh, some phases. And for a start, I'm going to be reading from verse one to verse 4. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to verse 4 of the book of James chapter 4. All right. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So, you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what you will give. You want only what will give you pleasure. Verse 4. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And that is where I want to end it for now. I just read chapter 4 from verse 1 to verse 4. And I want us to pay attention to some of the things that were mentioned by Apostle James in this reading. I want us to, I'm going to make it a kind of 
questions and interactions among us. So I'll be asking us some questions and we shall discuss from whatever we say as answers to those questions. So I want to call our attention to something that James mentioned here about what makes people. Meanwhile, I want to call our attention to one other thing first. And it is the fact that so that when we are reading, we know what we are reading about. The letter of James was not written to the unbelievers. It was written to the church. So, when he mentioned some things in the whole of this book, I would not want us to take those things and face those words or those instructions, as the case may be, to the people out there. I want us to reflect them among us, the church, and the body of Christ in general. When James said here that some people among believers, they ask and they don't receive, he said that because they want what they want at all costs, he said they kill in order to achieve those things. And the first question that crossed my mind is, do believers kill? Maybe James didn't know what he was talking about, right? Do you think believers kill? Do you think believers commit murder just because there is something they want at all costs? And in order for them to have those things, James said that they kill. Is it true that believers kill? I'm throwing that question to us. That is our starting point tonight. Is it true? Sister Fagui. If I start with my wife, you will know that I can point at you at any time. Right? Okay. That's a shocker for you. Right? Please help me to give her a microphone. Do believers kill? What do you think? And because of what I did, I'm serious. I'm going to call anybody at random tonight. Do believers kill? What is your opinion? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I believe to kill, you don't need M16 or AK-47. Okay. You can kill. I, li I love that. <laughs> Sorry. It's a machine gun. Okay. <laughs> so how do you think believers kill? As little as my tongue is, it can kill. Oh, wonderful. Thank what you very I much. Say positively or negatively. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know if we have anybody that wants to contribute to that. She said that believers could kill with the words of mouth. Did I represent you well? Okay, there will be dinner for me. All right. <laughs> Is there anybody that wants to contribute to that? Do believers kill? What do you think? In what way? Let's make it very quick. All right. Let's listen to my young daughter there. I think they also kill because, like, in the Bible it says everyone Everyone is a sinner, so even if they're believers, they still commit sin like murder. 
So when we commit sin against one another, we commit murder. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. God bless you. Please, do we have any other person that has something to say about that? Yes, ma'am. So I believe that um, even without voicing it out, your hmm. thoughts towards a person might be that of the... Wonderful. So that way, you have killed the person. Thank you very much, ma'am. So what our sister is saying is that sometimes because of the kind of thoughts that we nurse against one another, we may be sentencing one another to untimely death. And in fact, I want to build on what she said. A lot of times, we underrate the power of the thoughts of the believers. We underrate, and that is the reason why the Bible tells us that we should guard our hearts jealously. Because out of it comes the issues of life. A lot of times, we underrate. Let me tell you this. Many a times, we don't know. We give the devil an advantage with the kind of thoughts that we nurse against other people. This is the reason why sometimes, and what I'm saying, it relates to the two sides of the spirit world, whether the demonic world or the world of the light. You will hear some people, they will say, and I was just thinking something. And that thing just happened. Do you know that a lot of times, it is those ones that are bad that happen that way. James was saying something here, and this is what I want to pull out of it. The kind of thoughts, the kind of words that we project to other people in the church, just because those people are at a position of higher advantage, as we thought, right? Maybe those people are more gifted. Maybe we think those people are more blessed. Maybe because we think those people are in positions that are better than our own. And we don't voice those things out. James said that the root of all those things is called envy. Let me tell you, brethren, there is envy in the church. Oh. Take it or leave it. There is envy. And I will give you instances. You will hear when some people are talking about some other brethren in the church. And you will hear something like, is he the only one inside the church? Before he says two things, he's speaking in tongues. What did they do himself? And as I'm saying this, I want you to reflect on it. Maybe you have heard it before. Maybe you have done it before. Let me give you another example. And you see, these are things that happen every day. Unfortunately, the way those things are presented in the church, the devil has helped a lot of people, right, to define means by which they do those things in the Holy Ghosted way. You will hear among believers, somebody will say, they said they just bought a new house in this economy. We don't even know what he's doing. We don't know where he's making that money. I'm telling you sincerely, there is envy in the church. 
And James was saying in those four verses that we read that there are some people in the church, rather than for them to go unto God to ask that, Lord, I want you to bless me with this thing or with that thing. They become envious and jealous. And that is the reason why they will be nursing some evil thoughts against some other brethren that are already in the position that they covet. James now says, he said even when they ask for those things, because their motives are bad, they don't achieve those things. Now I'm calling your attention to another thing. Maybe you should ask yourself, some of the things that we have been asking from God, maybe the reason why God has not answered is because of our motives. James says, and they are asking in order to consume it unto their lusts. Can you imagine somebody that is praying to God to have a particular type of car? And when he goes to God, all he is saying is, ah, God, I also want to have this car so that people will know that I am serving you. You know people say it in the church. Do you know people say it? Maybe you also say it. When you are praying and you are telling God, in order to make people know that I am serving you, and the question you should ask yourself is, when you have that thing, is it in order to flaunt it to people? And that is going to be your own proof that you serve God. That is lost. God will not answer your prayer because you want to consume that blessing unto your lust. And it is one of the reasons why people are frustrated sometimes in the church. After they have prayed for some things, they have asked God for so long, they have been doing this, doing that. In fact, they would have fasted. They want to force the hand of God to deliver that thing that they want at all costs. And when that answer is not coming, they start to develop an evil heart against some other people that are enjoying that similar blessing. I pray God will redeem our hearts in Jesus' name. You see, I said something in the first week. There is something I see about the book of James. It brings to practicality what is happening in the Christian life, in the real Christian life, in the world where we live in. If you are asking from God for anything, no matter how good that thing is, there is a question you should ask yourself while you are asking. And that question is, who will meeting this need glorify? Pastor was giving, a, giving an example sometimes ago, if I remember. He was talking about when Hannah was asking God for his son, right? He de she dedicated that son unto the service of God at the point when that, answer, that prayer was answered. And the question we should always ask ourselves is this. When we are asking God to give us a job, that God should give us money, that God should give us a house, that God should give us a car, whatever, Whatever we are asking. We should always ask ourselves, where will the meeting of that need glorify God? 
If we fail to answer that question, maybe we should check for lost. In essence, it will not be right for a child of God to be asking for something because somebody else has that thing. I hope you, you heard what I just said now. If the reason why we are asking God to bless us with a blessing is because, ah, brother, your has that kind of thing. God, if you give it, if you give it to me too, brother, will not be able to flaunt you what he has to me. May God deliver us in Jesus' name. I'm reading from verse 5 to verse 10. James chapter 4, I'm reading from verse 5 now to verse 10. He says, Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Humility in God's sight by penitent acknowledgement of our sins is a very important requirement for receiving grace and successfully resisting the devil. God will lift the humble in spirit who can seek him for restoration. I want us to look at the book of 1 John chapter 1 from verse 8 to 10. 1 John chapter 1 from verse 8 to 10. James was saying something in the portion that we just read now about humility. However, I'm going to point to us the two kinds of humility that the Bible spoke about. Whereas, the one that James was talking about here is one aspect of that humility. And I'm going to show us the second one. The humility that James was talking about here is humility towards God. And humility towards God is for us to acknowledge that we are sinners. It's for us to acknowledge that on our own as human beings, we are not pure. And for us to come before him as we are, to expose ourselves unto him, not by the works of our hands. That was the one that James was talking about here. And that will be more established in the book of 1 John that I said that we should look at. 1 John chapter 1 from verse 8. The Bible says, If we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and we are not living in the truth. Verse 10, please. Verse 10. If we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. 
and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. What James was saying in the portion that we just read now is that if we acknowledge our situation before God and we are not trying to give excuses for the sins that we commit, you know that we live in a world now where rather than for people, even the church, to call sin a sin, they will call it a shortcoming. They will call it a weakness. Do you know that it truly takes humility to come before God and say, Lord, I am a liar. I need help. Do you know it takes humility for somebody to come to God and say, Lord, please help me. I am an adulterer. I have tried everything I thought I could. But now I know that self-discipline cannot do it. I need your help. That is what James was talking about here. A lot of people in the church, they find it very difficult because the devil has deceived them to think that those things that they do, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 10, when we say that we are not sinners, we call God a liar. The devil has made people to find it difficult to come before God and to confess to God that, Lord, Yesterday, I caused. I have transgressed. I need help. Rather, the devil will make them to feel like everybody does it. God understands. At that level, that is pride. Once we cannot acknowledge, see, it is a different thing for people out there that have not come to Jesus who are living perpetually in sin, right? But for believers that are stumbling and standing, it is a different ball game when the devil deceives such a believer and he feels like it is like that for every other person. There is no reason to come before God and say, God, forgive me for that one. Even God understands. That is pride. And James was saying in the portion that we just read now that it is for those people that will humble themselves at that point. The Bible says that they will receive grace. Bible says it gives grace to the humble. I said that there are two types of humility and I'm going to mention the second one. And this is the reason why the way the Bible spells the two they are different. Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 23 verse 12 he said for those that humble themselves for those that exalt themselves they shall be what? They shall be abased. And those who humble themselves, they shall be what? They shall be exalted. That same thing that Jesus said there was what Peter was implying in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. And now you will see the differences between the two. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Apostle Peter said there, he said, so humble yourself. In fact, please start from verse 3. Verse 3, so that you see where he was coming from. He says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. Please start from verse 2. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Next, 
Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. Next. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Now verse 5. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders and all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. Next one. So, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you in honor. Thank you very much. Now, I want you to pay deep attention to those verses that we just read. You will see that the humility that Peter was talking about there is between men to men, not to God. Is that correct? Look at your Bible if you don't agree with me. It is talking about humility in the relationships among people. When he started from verse 3, he was talking about what should be the attribute of those that are in places of authority to those people that they lead. But when he got to verse 6, he was talking about, when he got to verse 5, he was talking about the humility that should come from people that are the followers to the people that lead them. And he ended it in verse 6 by saying that if you do that one, God will exalt you but in due time. Look at your Bible. The reason why he was talking of in due time there is not that God cannot do the work of transformation of that exaltation immediately. On the part of God, the Bible says that anybody that comes unto God with a contrite heart, God will never despise them. And that is the first type of humility that I'm talking about. As it was written in the book of Psalm, chapter 51, verse 17. Psalm 51, verse 17. God made a promise there that anybody that comes to him with a contrite and a broken heart, he says that he will not despise them because those people humble themselves before him. God will accept them and he will give them grace. But the one that Peter was talking about here, it is in relations to ourselves. It is not that God cannot touch the heart of your boss so that he will give you a promotion. It is not that God cannot touch the heart of somebody that is higher than you such that the person will release a blessing unto you. But there is a due time. And that is the reason why people ask questions. God, after all those things that I have done in the place where I work, after the fact that I respect my boss, after the fact that I honor my parents, those things that I want them to do for me, they have not done it. It is not yet due time. It is that of God, the kind of exaltation and grace that comes from God when we humble ourselves before him and we agree that we are sinners before him. It is immediate. But the kind of exaltation that comes when we have good relationships among ourselves, such that we honor people, those that are above us, those that are below us, that one, it is when God says it is time. And that is the reason why we should live our lives in that kind of humility while we are here on earth. 
I'm going to quickly read verse 11 to 12 as we continue. Verse 11 and verse 12. Don't speak evil against each other, dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize and judge each other, then you are criticizing and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So, what right do you have to judge your neighbor? I will spend a little time on that. James was saying here that we should not speak evil of one another. We live in a world in which when we don't understand what is happening in the life of brother B, brother B, brother A, we start to judge him and we just, you know, be criticizing him. We live in a world in which because you don't belong to a particular denomination, what they do there, just because that is not the way you do it in your own church, you start to judge them and you start to speak about things you know nothing about. I remember I had something from one of my colleagues many years ago, and that thing stuck to my memory. He said, your neighbor is going through something that you know nothing about, so treat people with kindness. Do you know that even in the church, you see people, they do something in a way that is different from the way you will do it. And if care is not taken, that is where you start to judge them. I was, I was reading a conversation on the internet just last month when some people were criticizing a particular man of God in Nigeria. They said that man of God, when he's praying, he's shouting. Many of you, you know the person I'm talking about. They said when he's praying, that he will be shouting, he'll be shouting. In fact, they took it further and they said, why does he have to be emphasizing on what God cannot do, does not exist? And they started to criticize him just because they don't do that in their own church. You see, a lot of times, the criticisms that we pass among ourselves as believers, even non-believers don't pass it against us. The things that unbelievers are seeing in the lives of believers, and those things are blessing them. Fellow believers, they will crucify that believer for that thing. James was saying here, don't speak evil of one another. Why would you have to judge and to crucify a fellow brother or a fellow sister just because you don't understand the basis for some of the things that he is doing? May God help us. I'm reading from verse 13 to 17. Look here. You who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we will stay there for a year. We will do a business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here a little while, then it is gone. When you ought to say, or what you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, 
you are boasting about your own pretentious plan. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. I'm going to ask a question from there. And that question is, does it mean that we should not be speaking positive things about our lives? For me now to say, by this time next year, I will be the managing director of so, 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 so. Is that what James was saying here? Does it mean that we should not say something positive about ourselves? You know, projecting into the future and saying some positive things about our lives. Is that what James was saying here when he was saying that we should not be boastful about tomorrow? Brokayode, what do you think? Or to say, to have goals as we have them. But uh, as Christians, we must live with the awareness of eternity in our thoughts Mm. and uh, the role of God in our life. Mm. So I I think that's where the the difference is. Thank you very much, sir. I love the way you put it. Please, do I have any other person that wants to contribute to that? Yes, sir, Braula. Thank you very much, sir. I just want to add to what he said. He said we should live in awareness of eternity. I also want to say awareness of God's sovereignty. Like God is sovereign over all, so Mm. we don't have power over anything. Thank you very much, sir. I agree with you. Very quickly, I want us to turn our Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, from verse 15 to 21. Luke chapter 12, from verse 15 to 21. Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Next verse. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Next. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Next. Then he said, I know I will tear down my barns and I will build a bigger one. Then I will have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. Next. And I'll sit back and I will say to myself, my friend, you have done, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then, who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to, stop up, to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Amen. You see, what James was talking about here was the futility of empty boasts. Somebody that does not know what is going to happen in the next one minute. And without putting God into the equation, that is the point there. And I thank my two brothers that contributed. Without putting God into that equation, and that person will be boasting, by this time tomorrow, I will do this, I will do that. And in all those saying, 
he does not even say by the grace of God. You see, a lot of times it happens to us also. When we are making plans, and there are, do you know there are times when we assume on some things. In fact, let me draw it closer home. And I want us to be sincere. This is going to be a rhetorical question. How many of us have found ourselves in situations where we are planning on some things that we think we have absolute control over? And we tell ourselves, that one, I don't even need to pray about it. Can you remember when we were in school? And sometimes, some courses were so cheap in our hands. And we tell ourselves, even if I close my eyes in the exam hall, this one, a distinction is sure. That is the exact thing that James was talking about. And in that parable that Jesus gave, you see this guy. Because already he had projected into the future and he had already done his maths that at the end of everything when he does his harvest, his barn would not be able to store what he anticipated to come as his produce. He said, by the time he had everything, he will now tell his soul, my soul, just rest and enjoy yourself. And God was watching that foolish man. And God said, this very night, thy soul shall be required of you. What James was talking about here, and what he is still talking to us about, is the importance of making God the cardinal point of every one of our plans. Because no matter what we plan, if God does not say yes to it, we have just wasted our time. I pray God will help us in Jesus' name. You see, they told us a story when I was in primary school of a man that was doing this kind of calculation and projection. They said that man, he was thinking of how he was going to become a billionaire. And at that point in time, he had only one dish. You know all those Abo Mami in Nigeria many years ago. You know that when those plates drop, it will just what we call China in those days. Original China. All right. And that was what this guy was banking on. He had only one of that China ware. And he told himself, when I sell this one, I will make money. I will buy two. And right there, this man was doing what in mathematics, what we call geometric progression, right? How one will become two, how two will become four, how four will become eight, on and on. And this man was thinking, and by the time I have a lot of it, and I have done the merchandise, I will now sit back, and I will now be commanding people. I will have slaves, and I will be commanding them. I will stretch my leg. As he tried to stretch his leg, he broke the only one plate. Just like that, that is what James was talking about. A lot of times, because we do not include God in the projections that we make for our lives, a lot of times, those things just result in futility. And he was advising us here that in all those planning, let us say, if the Lord wills, and that will take us to another dimension of it. It is the reason why it is very important for us as children of God. When we are planning things, let us find out what is the will of God. It is when we understand the will of God concerning those things that we aspire. 
it is then that we'll be able to channel our energy in the right and fruitful direction. But a lot of times, when we just do things just because somebody else did it, we will just be scattering all the energy, especially when we don't include God in those plans. Verse 18, he said there that for that person who knows what is right and does not do it, it is a sin. Now, let me bring this, let me bring this to us a little. That very verse had caused trouble for so many people. Do you know why? What James was saying there is it that every good thing that you can find around you, you must do. Take for an example. You are going home tonight, right? And you see a pair of shoes right by the side of the road. And you, can, you just sense it that maybe the pair of shoes you are seeing by the side of the road were forgotten there by some kids that were playing, maybe in the next house. Let us take the house in front of us for an example. Maybe there are some kids there. They have come out to play. They left their shoes in front of the house. And you assume that those shoes are supposed to belong to some children in that house. You now pack the shoes. You enter into that house. Maybe these shoes are for your children. They say no. You go to the next house until you can find the owner of those shoes. That is not what James was saying there. It is not everything around you that you can take care of. But there are some things that you know expressly clear about the will of God for those things because they have been revealed to you in the word of God. Especially as regards those things that have to do with our everyday personal lives. The revealed will of God that you know, you have read it in the Bible. God says you should do this or God says you should not do this. That revealed word of God, will of God that you know but you have chosen to go the other dimension or direction. That is what James was talking about there. Once you have the revealed word of God and you refuse to do it, it is a sin unto you. I pray that Lord will help us in Jesus' name. I jump, I jump to chapter 5. I read from verse 1 to 6 of James chapter 5. <clears throat> Look here. You rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eating rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your field have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. James is speaking here about a set of people who are wealthy, even some of them that are in the church, right? And they have forgotten that the wealth that God has given them was not given unto them in order to oppress other people. 
You know the language in the place where we are coming from? They will say, that guy is just oppressing everybody. That kind of oppression, it happens among believers. James was saying here that some of these people, they cheat some others that are low in the society. Especially for some of them, they have people that work under them. If you, work, if you have people, whether they are believers or not, that are working for you, and you are not paying their dues, you are not paying their wages, that is part of what James was talking about. If with the resources that God has given you, you are making some other people to go to God and cry and say, God, and you can do something for somebody that is wasting it like this. I always tell my children, there are people out there that are suffering. They don't have food to eat. So, for every time that you are throwing away food, remember those people. Don't let their cry shout against you before God. It extends to that. Whatever God has blessed you with, don't you ever find yourself in a situation where you will make people that are lower than you in economic status to look to God and say, ah, God, you are not fair. Some people will use the resources that God has given unto them and they will use it to oppress other people, just like I said earlier. But God is calling us. James said here, it is the will of God that whatever God has blessed us with, let us use it to reach out to other people. Let us lift other people, especially those people that are still struggling. Let us take it home a little bit more. Do you know that the situation where you are today is the prayer point of somebody? Have you ever thought of how you could be a blessing to another person? What James is saying here, we should not live our lives on the basis of me, I, myself, alone. We should not find ourselves in a position where we are making other people that are lower, especially in the church. You know that when the Bible was talking about our goodness to people, he says, especially those who are of the household of faith. He says that there is the anger of God against those who use their positions of influence to afflict the helpless in the society. When you look at somebody, you know, I know that doesn't happen around here, but this is what some people will say. They will say, see, by the time I deal with you, they will forget you inside the cell. By the time I deal with you, you will forget who you are. That should not be the attitude and the language of the believers. And now, do you know that there is a refined way of doing that thing among Christians? They will not say it out that by the time I finish dealing with you, but in their heart, they will tell themselves, and I will show you that we are not in the same category. What is your category? James is saying here, there is nothing anybody has that he has not received. Wherever God has placed you, you should see it as an instrument. You see, there are various facets of ministry. Have you ever asked God if he has blessed you more than that fellow? 
Have you ever asked God if that is part of your ministry to reach out to that person? Rather than for you to flaunt. The Lord will deliver us in Jesus' name. He was not condemning wealth, so don't let us get it twisted. James was not condemning wealth. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalm number 35, verse 27, that the Lord delights. Oh, technical, I did not even tell you to display all those um, slides. Okay, you have been rolling it. Thank you. God delights in the prosperity of his people. So, James is not condemning wealth here. Rather, he is calling our attention to the right use of whatever God has blessed us with. Verse 7. I'm reading verse 7 to 12. Time is running out. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. James is saying here also that we need to be patient while we wait for the Lord. Although waiting is not easy, especially when you don't know the time when your expectation will manifest. Waiting is not easy. But what God still tells us in the book of Habakkuk, is that we should still wait. Waiting is not easy, I know. But what comes out of it, just like the example of Job that we saw in where we just read now, your wait will prove that God is a kind God. You see, if truly we are waiting upon the Lord, there is a blessing that comes with it. And at the end of the day, that blessing is going to speak. It is the reason why the devil, because of his knowledge of the blessings that accrues unto those that can wait in the times of difficulties, wait, that can wait upon the Lord, the devil will try to suggest a lot of alternatives. Just because he wants to truncate the blessing that is waiting at the end for a child of God. He also said in the place that we just read now, and I mentioned that last week, I'm not going to dwell so much on it. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. This afternoon, I found myself in a situation where a Christian brother was asking me to do something for him, which I could not do, but he did not believe I could not do it at that point in time. 
and he started to twist me, you know, with words, blah, blah, blah. And I was just looking at him. In my heart, I knew I could not convince him. I had said my yes. I do not have any reason to be swearing. Ah, and you see, oh, the God that created you, he knows that I'm telling you the truth. Oh. It is not necessary. A lot of times, because we want to be accepted, we want people to accept us. We want them to know that we are saying the truth. We go the extra mile and we start to swear. James is saying here, it is not necessary. He says, let your simple yes be yes and let your no be no. You know what? Even if you swear, the person that will not believe you will not believe you. And you would have lost at two ends. The person will not believe you and you have crossed the path of God. I pray that Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Let me stop that one there because of time. I'm going to read verse 13 to 18. Verse 13 to verse 18. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sin, you will be forgiven. Confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human, was as human as we are, and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. I want to ask us a question here. James was saying that, is anybody happy? Let him do what? Let him sing. Is that not what he said? He said, if anybody is happy, let him sing. He said, if anybody is facing hardship, let him pray. I want to ask us a question. Do you know or do you agree it is very easy to sing when you are happy? Is that true? Is that true? When somebody is facing a hard time, is it easy to pray? Yes, ma. You said, uh -huh. please give her the microphone. <laughs> when somebody is truly happy, I agree with you. It is easy to sing. Even when you don't intend to sing, when you are happy, you will just find yourself, you'll be singing. Do you know sometimes, you are so happy that even when you are not singing that song out, your heart will be singing when the heart is happy. But when we are facing some hard times, especially those kind of hard times that are contrary to the will of, to the word of God that we are holding on to, to the promises of God, at that time, we know that what we're supposed to do is to pray, right? So, my dear sister Funke, at that time, how easy is it to pray? Have you found yourself in a condition where you want to pray but the words are not coming? And probably you are just crying. Have you found yourself in that situation before? Yes, sir. Okay. So, I want you to express. I want you to just share with us. At such time, how easy is it, how easy is it to pray? Because James was saying here, that at such times, we should pray. So I am asking you, 
How easy is it? And at that time, what did you do to make sure that you prayed? Um, I think it can, to me, it's in two ways. Um, when you face hardship, you tend to get closer to God, hmm. and then you pray. Okay. And sometimes you can't just express it, hmm. and you just cry. And I think it got to a point in my life that I was crying. And someone made me understand that when you don't know what to say in words, you can make your tears worship to God. Okay. And you can express like express your pain through hmm. tears to God. Hmm. And then just just say, God, these are my tears. Hmm. You understand what I'm going through. Hmm. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a deep one. Although it goes into another dimension, but that's not for tonight. Thank you. Please, do we have anybody that wants to say something about that? At a time when, please come here. At a time when it's like some things are happening and those things are not tallying with the promises of God and you want to pray. I don't want to put words into your mouth. Please go ahead. Hallelujah. That microphone is off. What I found myself, particularly, you know, engaging myself on at that point in time, because I know that uh, it's a sin to murmur against God. Mm. It is a sin to complain. Mm. And... I know that in such situation, whether I like it or not, it's only God that can rescue me with the level of truth hmm. I've come to understand through the word of God. In my room, I just prepare a seat for God. Hmm. And I'll sit in and I pour my heart onto him. Great. I let him understand. I said, it is not prayer. Hmm. It's a heart-to-heart -heart talk. Okay. And by the time I pour my heart onto him, not that I'm complaining, but I'm just making to see reason why he needs to help me hmm. because of the shame, because of the reproach, because I've come to my hand. Nobody can help me. Hmm. It's not that I'm complaining. It's not that I'm fighting him. But I just see him as somebody I can talk to at that point in time. That Lord is all over to you, hmm. and we are in it together. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Please give it to mommy. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. In a in a time whereby you want to pray, you cannot pray. The only thing you need to do is for you to be singing, praising, giving God praises, hmm. calling Him so many names, elogizing His name. Hmm. At the end of the day, you can bust Him. Speaking in tongues. Okay. Before you know it, the, everything has already taken over. Hmm. You don't need to bother yourselves again. Thank you, ma. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, ma. D Hello, please give it to Sister Jola. Okay. Please hold on, ma. Do we still have a contribution to that before your question? Any contribution to that? Okay. The question, ma. <laughs> Um, mommy just actually touched on the question and before now this was the question I had about this verse it says if you are afflicted mm. pray yeah so 
there are sometimes we hear that maybe afflicted or something is going on you should sing mm. and i'm thinking this is very clear that you only sing when you're happy mm. and if you are going through something that is hard you should pray mm. so how do we balance it where sometimes they are like oh if you have been trusting God for something and it doesn't happen yeah. you just sing yeah. yeah thank you very much for that question okay now i want to combine all that we said and the question that the sister just asked now the reason why i answered that, that the reason why I ask that question is because, practically speaking, when times are rough, we tend towards being drawn away from God because of depression. I don't know if you understand what I'm talking about. When it is like things are not going the way we want them to go, we know in our minds that that is the time when we're supposed to come to God and present our case. However, nature, the way things happen, at that point in time, the devil will want to take advantage of us. And the next thing he will be reminding us is, after all your prayers, why should it be this one that is happening to you right now? And if care is not taken at that point in time, the devil is drawing us away from God because of our thoughts, because of heavy burden in the heart. Back to what our sister now asked. It is a great privilege for a child of God. Whenever we are facing hard times, it is a great privilege for us at that point in time to use that opportunity to draw closer to God, either by the words of our prayers, either in our songs to him, but by any means to be connected to him. That connection could be in songs. Because the song that James was talking about there, they are not the songs of uh, God break the head of my enemy. No, that's not the one. That's not what he was talking about. The song he was talking about there, they were songs of praise. However, when times are rough, and it is like we are at the end of our wits, one thing that we can always do is to find connection with God. That connection could be in prayer. That connection could be in singing songs that show that we trust him at that point in time. But the worst that could happen to us at such time is for us to just be neutral. The devil will take advantage. I don't know if I answered your question, my sister. If someone is afflicted, is yes. it wrong to sing? Because the Bible says what you should be doing is praying. Yes. Now, what I'm trying to point out is, do you know that we can pray in singing? Do you agree with me? Well, is that a type? Is it a... It could be. As long as we can connect with God, that is the important thing. As long, Because do you know that sometimes we find ourselves in situations where if we try to pray, words will not even come. But the most important thing at that point in time is to establish a connection with the living God. That connection could be in singing unto him. In fact, that song could be expressing our trust in him that, Lord, though times are rough, but yet I put my trust in you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So the important thing there is for us to find that connection. That connection also is a means of prayer. It could be by singing. It could be by speaking in tongues. It could be by the words of prayer. But that connection is the important thing. Before you pass off him, Brokayodi. 
So uh, I just wanted to add that uh, sometimes singing actually unblocks that body uh, and uh, help you, uh, ushers you into being able to pray. You know, I think probably you are heavily burdened and uh, when you start singing, I think uh, it, it has a way of working on our emotions. That's true. Because uh, if you remember the story of the prophets and uh, the king of Israel and the king of Judah wanted to go into war mm -hmm. and he has promised that he's not going to do anything with this king. And uh, he had to ask, okay, can we get a mystery first? Because he has some emotional blockage that is not allowing him to even connect with the spirit mm. for him to be able to serve the king at that point in time. Thank you very much, sir. Pastor Femi. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I, I think you've just uh, you've touched on what I wanted to say. Uh, we are looking at prayers as a different category uh, from praises or singing. Prayers can be of any form. You can mm -hmm. speak in tongues, you can praise, you can worship. There are all categories of prayers. When mm. you look at the book of Psalms, in the Psalms, David wrote his prayers in the form of songs. That's true. And he was using those to worship God. Mm. So it's not necessarily until I, I say the conventional prayer Father, I bless your name. Hmm. You can pray in songs, you can pray in praises, you can pray in tongues. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, sir. Very briefly, in the next three minutes, I want to round up. We secretly manage our problems and we lose the power of anointing of God's servants. A lot of times, you see, at the time when we're supposed to go to our pastor to tell him, this is what I am passing through. Please pray for me. In the place that we just read now, James was pointing out the power of anointing, even when we are sick. He says that we should go to the elders, we should go to our pastors, we should go to the ministers of God, that when they anoint us and they pray for us, we will be healed. In fact, he went further to say that even if that sickness was caused by a sin, right, if we confess that sin, there is a power that God has placed upon his servant such that when that sin is confessed, such a person will be forgiven and that person will be healed. Do you know how that thing happens? Let me just give us a very quick scenario on that. Do you know that sometimes, because part of what he said there is that we should confess our sins to one another. Can you see that? It's not that we are going to tell somebody that is a tail bearer. And you tell the person, this is what I have done. And that person will now go to the rooftop. Hey, uh, oh God. And they say they are Christians. That is not what he is saying there. But do you know that when we confess our sins to one another as believers, there is a power in it to lift a burden out of our souls by the time we are prayed for by a fellow believer. When we do something that is wrong, and probably we go to the man of God and we tell him, this is what I have done, it is wrong, and I know that it is wrong. Do you know that that confession alone can lift a body? Do you know? But a lot of times, just because, and pardon me for this, but it is the truth, 
because of the state of our own hearts, ourselves. We tell ourselves, Shalom, one, one. Are they God? And because of that, a lot of times, some of the things that we're supposed to approach our leaders, the men of God for, a lot of times, we just cover up. I will not explain this one, but I will mention it. There is a lot of pretext in the church. A lot of times, the burdens that people should share, they just keep it to themselves. And they forget there is an African adage. That adage says that, expose me, right? Expose me is the surname of a disease. If you keep me, I will kill you. If you expose me, I will leave you. I pray God will help us in Jesus' name. He also said that there is healing power in confession of our faults. This starts from the release that we experience in our souls. Furthermore, he made an example of Elijah in the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. We need to learn to be persistent in the place of prayer, just like what Jesus said in Luke 18 about that woman. Many of us, we are not persistent enough in the place of prayer. And we allow the devil to deceive us. When we have prayed about something and it's like that thing is not happening on time and we just tell ourselves, maybe it is the will of God that I should remain the way I am. James was saying here about the power of impetuity in prayer. If we are trusting God for something that is legitimate spiritually, he is saying here that we should just do like Elijah. If you read that story there, the Bible says that Elijah put his, uh, his face between his knee. And he was, I tried it when I was reading this thing. I saw that it was not easy. But can you imagine for somebody to place his face between his knees and he continued to pray. And as he was praying, he told his servant to go and be checking for that cloud. To go and be checking. And the man still remained there. That is an example for us. God is not saying that we should place our face be, you know, behind our knees. But what James was emphasizing on there is the importance of not giving up in the place of prayer. I pray that Lord will help us. And finally, verse 19 to 20, we are not going to read it. What that place is saying that is that it is not right for us to mock fellow believers that are falling. It is not right for us to mock them. Somebody that is in the body of Christ before, all of a sudden, maybe the person has backsliding, or maybe because the person has committed a sin, and the person is ashamed to associate with the believers any longer, and we allow that person to just stray. A lot of times, we wound those kind of people, and we allow the world to grab them. When we find fellow believers in a fault, it is our responsibility to be close to them, to encourage them, to be close to them, to let them know that that is not the end of the world. Because if we leave those people, there are some friends that they left in the world out there that are still waiting for them. So what is our game? I pray the Lord will help us. Please let us stand up as we pray. I want us to just sing one song and then I will give the microphone to a pastor to pray for us. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. 
Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Change my heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Are the porter, you are the porter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Make it ever true. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God. May I be like you. Only one prayer point. I want you to pray to God. Lord, as we have studied the book of James, let there be a transformation in my life such that when you look at me, it is your righteousness you will see. Go ahead and pray unto the Lord. We hope you were blessed by that teaching. For further inquiries, please visit our website, www.rccgppp.org. You can also check us on Facebook and on YouTube at rccgpppsk, on Instagram and Twitter at rccgppp. If you are within the city of Regina, Canada, you can join us in person at 1771 Bond Street, S4N, 1X7 for a refreshing time in God's presence.